So I want to start with uh, just a, a bit of a story. One of my favorite preachers of all time, he uh, died, I don't know, maybe 10 years ago, but it's not, his name was John Wimber. And John Wimber used to be part of a band called the Righteous Brothers. I don't know if you ever remember that. It's kind of back in the Beach Boy days. And, uh, and John Wimber started a, a group of churches called the Vineyard Churches, if you've ever heard of those. And, uh, and he had a, uh, he came to Tulsa where I was going to Bible college, and every speaker in, that would come to Tulsa, this was at Oral Roberts University, I didn't go to school there, but that's where he was uh, a guest speaker, and uh, I knew that this guy John Wimber was coming, I didn't know what a John Wimber looked like, so I had no idea what the guy looked like. And this guy came out on the, on the platform, and he had on sneakers and a T-shirt and some wore-out jeans, and uh, probably looked a lot like I do now, actually. He had a gray beard, and I'm kind of describing myself, aren't I? And uh, <laughs> well, he was, anyway, he, uh, he comes out, and I thought, oh, is this like the dude that's going to introduce John Wimber? Because nobody ever spoke on a platform anywhere in Tulsa without an Armani suit, and uh, crocodile sh le or leather shoes and a, you know, a million dollar tie and you know, leather briefcase and they had to really look the part, you know, hair slicked back and everything else. And this dude just comes out and uh, in fact he had a Hawaiian shirt on and, and I never forget it, he goes, well, I don't know what you were expecting, but you got a fat man with a gray beard and he says, my name is John Wimber and I'm like, wow, that's him. And, but it was like a breath of fresh air and he, and he preached a message, I'll never forget it, which started a, a whole movement, and it was called Doing the Stuff. Doing the Stuff. And he gave his testimony. He said that somebody gave him a Bible, and he began to read it. And then he said to the person that gave him the Bible, uh, so when are we going to do the stuff? And they, they'd started getting him to go to church, and, uh, and he realized that, that the stuff in the book, nobody was kind of doing any of it, and they were you know, singing about it. He said, uh, the person said, well, we sing about it, we read about it, we hear sermons about it, we talk about it, but we don't actually do it. And uh, he's like, wait, wait a minute, like, the stuff in the book, you, you, when are we going to do it? Well, we don't do the stuff in the book. And, uh, and he decided that he was going to change that. He read that, read that, and started to step out and believe God that he could actually today do the stuff that was written in the book. And so we could have just as easily have called this whole equipped series doing the stuff because that's what God wants us to do. And when you do the stuff, you get the reward of doing the stuff. And you know, like, there's nothing like doing the stuff. There's nothing like seeing somebody healed. There's nothing like seeing somebody come to Jesus. There is nothing like seeing somebody getting filled with the Holy Spirit and getting joy in their life and seeing marriages put back together and businesses prospering and, and people prospering and flourishing and families and children being raised in, in the way of God and not the way of this world and, and solving problems and all the stuff that God wants us to do. He wants you to do that stuff, but you need to be equipped. And so Ephesians chapter 4 and um, I believe this will come up. If not, just uh, open your Bible, your iPhone, or whatever your choice of, uh, uh, of preference of reading is. But in Ephesians chapter 4, it really gives a job description for myself and for others that are in uh, what they call the Ascension Gift Ministries uh, or the fivefold. And they're, they're called that because when Jesus ascended, ascended, when he went up after he was resurrected from the dead, 
uh, he ascended on high, and he gave gifts unto men. And he gave these five uh, gifts that are mentioned in the Bible, and he gave them for, we'll read in verse 11. So Christ himself gave, and here they are mentioned, apostles. We'll get into what those things mean in this series. I will go into depth about each of these ascension gifts and identify uh, and give a definition for many of the gifts so that you're not confused about these things. They're pretty easy to work out. Uh, he gave apostles. Paul was one. Uh, the prophets. You'll see many of those mentioned in the Bible. Uh, the evangelists. They're the ones that equip in the area of leading people to Christ. Pastors and teachers. That's the office that pretty well that I'm in right now. And here's the reason that he gave these gifts. Verse 12. To equip his people. The old King James says to equip the saints. Hello, saints. God's people are called saints. So, you know, there's St. Jude and St. Joe, I guess, and St. Mary. And put your name in there. You're one of them. Uh, nothing special except that you're following Jesus and you're saved. You're a saint. And so uh, it says here, uh, to equip his people for works of service. Or the work of the ministry, it says in the King James. So that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in faith and in the knowledge. And here's the goal. The knowledge of the Son of God. It's not the knowledge about the subject and look at how much I know about the Bible and I can define what a prophet is or an apostle or I can tell you about, you know, to win an argument or whatever. No, 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 no. It's the knowledge of the Son of God. Over and over and over again, you'll see that theme in the Bible. It's all about him. Paul says, man, I've, I've, I've given away everything I had. It's all garbage that I might win Christ. He is the prize. He is the goal. The book of Revelation, in fact, it's not about the Antichrist and the mark of the beast and the end times. This is the revelation, the Bible says. This is the revelation of Jesus Christ. It's all about revealing him. You will never exhaust him. If he's a subject, he's a person, but if he were a subject, he is inexhaustible. You cannot exhaust Jesus Christ in knowing about him. Right when you think you got him all figured out, he just turns his head a little bit and you go, wow, what was that? I didn't see that. Uh, he is just the, he is the, he's the creator of the universe and he is absolutely amazing and you will never ever just figure him all out because you'll never figure God out. You'll never put God in a box. It's just a constant revealing and learning. So until uh, in the knowledge of the Son of God, and then it says this, this is all part of why, uh, and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. You know, that is such a, a powerfully packed passage of Scripture. We reach the unity of the faith and in in, in, in become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Are you kidding me? Like God's goal is for us to attain the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Like, wow. Talk about a mouthful. Talk about a revelation. Talk about getting equipped. Talk about, you know, something that's just mind-blowing. That 
is mind-blowing. You think about the measure of the fullness of the one that spoke the whole universe into existence and created everything, including you and me, and his great plan of salvation. And he wants us to come into the fullness of that measure of Christ. That is amazing. Verse 14, then we will no longer be infants tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of people in their deceitful schemes. You know, so many people get picked off uh, because they're not equipped and they don't know the, the, full nat, uh, the, the fullness of the stature of Christ, so they, they buy into things other than Christ. They fall into formulas. They fall into deceptions and sidetracks and all kinds of things instead of centering on Him. And, and part of our goal here is just to get us to look at Him and fix our eyes on Him and ask the question, okay, God, what do you want to do in this situation? What do you want to do in my business? What do you want to do in my marriage? What do you want to do with these children that I'm, I'm raising? What do you want to do in, in whatever ministry that I'm called into? What are you doing? Show me. Reveal yourself in this situation. And he goes on, he says this, from whom the whole body joined and held together by every supporting ligament grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. Do you know, all of us severally are the body of Christ and many other people that call upon the name of the Lord. Some two point something billion people on the planet, the largest group of which is in China, believe it or not, the underground church. That's incredible, isn't it? We have got brothers and sisters all over the world, and together we make up this incredible body of Christ so that you're a hand, you're a foot, you're a ligament, you're, you're a, a, a finger, I don't know, you're part of the body of Christ, and none of us has all the parts. There's not one person in this room or anywhere else that is the complete body of Christ in themselves. There's only one of those, and he's seated at the right hand of the Father on high. But when he left, he gave these gifts, and he says, now, Tag, you're it. Go out and do the stuff. Go out and get the joy uh, uh, of doing the stuff that he did when he walked on the planet. He went about doing good and healing all who were sick and oppressed of the devil. So I want to just... Uh, this is an introduction tonight, seriously, uh, but we will continue to advance and strengthen our core. And as we're doing that, uh, there are a few things that I really want to cover in this series. One of them is our prayer life. And we're going to see uh, tonight just how important that is. We're not just, we don't fly off trying to work a formula. Just that'll never work anyway. But uh, we, we, we have this dependency upon God. And that's, that's, the, that's the core. That's working the core. That's, the, that's the, the center of the whole thing is just this incredible dependence on God. If you're getting something from God, man, you can take that to the bank. That's called faith. Uh, if you don't get it from God, call it risk. Call it an educated guess. Call it something else. But the best thing is to operate in faith and a deep-seated trust. God has spoken to me. I've got a word from God on this. And man, I'm going to go out and I'm going to work the word. I'm going to work the word that I got from God. That's what faith is all about. Uh, so we're going to look at that. We're also going to look at uh, how to lay hands on the sick. In other words, how to stretch out in faith and pray for the sick. You might say, well, what's in that? A lot. There's <laughs> an awful lot in all of this. Uh, again, not formulas and not techniques, 
but, but uh, instruction out of the Word of God and how to walk in and how, how to uh, operate in the, the different gifts that God has called us to operate in. So there's, we'll look at these things uh, uh, up the track, but you know, the working of miracles, uh, there's uh, the gifts, plural, of healings, plural. There's baptisms. We'll look at how to uh, baptize somebody in water and what that involves. We're also going to look at how to lead somebody to the Lord. I know many people have never done that individually in their life, and I think there's reasons for that, but uh, you can get strong in that. You can develop a very strong faith that no matter where you're at, whether you're sitting next to somebody in an airplane or a bus stop or somebody in your family or whoever, wherever, whenever, that you will have the confidence uh, in how to lead them to Christ. Not a formula. We're not going to look at the Romans road, if you're familiar with that, you know, all these kind of steps and everything, but, but something that comes out of a deep-seated confidence on the inside that you just know, uh, based on faith, you know what to, what, what to listen for and how to speak out the truth so that somebody can receive that. We're going to also look at how to uh, lead somebody in the baptism of the Holy Spirit. In other words, how to see them filled with the Holy Spirit. Uh, we'll look at some keys and some, uh, some wisdom in that area so that... Uh, you can find yourself in that situation where somebody wants to be filled with the Holy Spirit. You know how to do that, and you know the, the, the why and all the rest of it. So these are some of the things that we're going to look at, along with the different gifts and, uh, excuse me, uh, a whole lot of really exciting things. So I'm just really pumped about that. Well, I want to go over to uh, Matthew chapter 17. And um, probably one of the saddest passages of scripture or accounts in the Bible. Uh, there's a few of them that I find very sad. This is one of them. Uh, but there's instruction. As sad as this event was, this thing that happened, uh, we still get some reasons for it and some ways out that, that uh, uh, God is going to share with us tonight. So um, in uh, chapter 14, verse 14 of, of Matthew chapter 7, just want to read this. It says, when they came to the crowd, a man approached Jesus and knelt before him. That's verse 14, verse 15. Lord, have mercy on my son, he said. He has seizures and is suffering greatly. He often falls into the fire or into the water. And here's the sad bit, verse 16. I brought him to your disciples, but they could not. Heal him. Doesn't say they would not. They were willing. They could not heal him. Now we're going to find that there are only nine of them that were uh, in, that were trying to get this job done with this man's son. Think for a moment and step into the picture whenever you uh, look in the scripture. Try to put your place, put your space in there. Get your uh, meditator on. And, and see yourself in the picture, but here's nine of the disciples, three of them, Peter, James, and John, we'll find that went up on a mountain where Jesus was transfigured with Moses and Elijah. They're up there enjoying themselves. The other nine are down below there, and, uh, and this desperate father sees them. He, he knows these are, his, these are Jesus' disciples. Jesus isn't around, but these guys are around, so I'm going to bring my son out of desperation to uh, be healed. He has what, what we call epileptic kind of fits, 
and, and he's on a self-destruct mission. His kid sees some water. Great, I'm going to get in there and drown myself. Sees a fire. Going to plunge in there, burn myself to death, you know. So imagine the torment of this poor father. He's there. He's got his boy. He loves his kid. You know, what father doesn't? He's, he's like, this is my boy. I don't know how old the boy was. It doesn't say, but, you know, maybe he was a child. Maybe he was a teenager. But uh, his son, he just has to always guard his son because as soon as he lets that kid out of his sight, the kid's going to do something to self-harm. So it's always this constant thing of keeping an eye on him, and, 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 and this kid's got these seizures going on. So out of desperation, he brings his son to the people that should be able to work a miracle, that should see something happen to deliver uh, this poor father and his son out of this horrendous situation. But it says here, I brought him to your disciples, and they could not heal him. Now, some would build a doctrine on that one and say it wasn't God's will to heal them, but we find here that uh, that doesn't fly uh, in the face of this scripture at all. Uh, that'll get shot to pieces. It was God's will to heal this kid, but they could not do it. So the question is, why couldn't they? What was the reason as to why they could not work the stuff? Why couldn't they do the stuff? Why can't so many people in the body of Christ today do the stuff? Now there's popular teaching out there, and I'll say popular because it kind of lets everybody off the hook, and it basically says, well, it's not God's will. It doesn't happen. It's not God's will. It's not God's will for uh, everybody to be healed because not everybody gets healed. Well, let's just take that and apply that to salvation. Let me ask you a simple question. This is not a trick question at all, uh, but I just want an honest answer, and I think the honest answer is pretty clear. But uh, does everybody get saved? Come on, no. No, they don't all get saved. But is it God's will for everybody to get saved? Yes. See, how, see how quickly you went yes, and you are right. It, why? Because the Bible says it's, God, it's, it's God's will that all would come into saving grace, that all would be saved. It's not God's will that anybody should perish. So we know it's the will of God that everybody gets saved. But does everybody get saved? No. You know people that don't get saved. I know people that don't get saved. So if we build the case that God doesn't want everybody saved because not everybody gets saved, uh, I think we could agree we would surely be misappropriating Scripture. We would, we would really be off the mark building our case. And here's something. I'm going to throw this in here because there's a lot of popular teaching that come against faith and uh, anybody that expects to do this stuff and, and, and it goes something like this that if it was God's will then, then God would do it and if it, God doesn't do it then it's not God's will and then we're going to put uh, somebody's experience in here, we're going to put some sad music in the background and uh, here's somebody that didn't get healed, you know there they are and the music's playing and here's what we're doing and this is probably one of the biggest reasons why God's people don't do the stuff and it's this, because they exalt experience above the Word of God. Now, as soon as you do that, you're gone. I mean, that's what Joseph Smith and the, you know, the Mormons, Jehovah Witnesses, and a whole lot of other uh, uh, cults and false religions, what they've done is they've taken the experience of man and put that above 
the Word of God. You cannot do that. You either go with the Word of God or you don't. you got a simple choice. But as soon as you exalt your experience or anybody else's experience against the knowledge of God and what we read back there about uh, you know, being not infants, being tossed to and fro by the slight and cunning craftiness of men whereby they wait to deceive, it is so deceptive and it's so hard to stay on the Word of God when experience says otherwise. It's so easy to build a doctrine that God doesn't want to heal you, that God doesn't want to heal that person, that God may, maybe doesn't want them saved either. Maybe we'll just say that everything is God's will. Well, my goodness. Then why not? Why bother praying? Why not just sit at home, watch 60 minutes? Seriously, you might as well not even be down here if you think that. Uh, and, and you won't see any of this, you won't do the stuff if you believe that anything's God's will. Que sirrah, sirrah, whatever will be, will be. If God's going to do it, God will do it. If it's God's will to do it, God will do it. And if it's not his will, he won't do it. But it's got nothing to do with me. It's got nothing to do with his word. If that's the case, then don't even bother with any of this stuff. There is a decision that you have to make in your heart that I'm going to go with the word of God no matter what the experience of people is. Now, I love experience. I've got some experiences, and so do you. But they're never going to go above the Word of God, ever. That's just such dangerous ground. So I really encourage you. So the reason here, verse 17, it sounds so hard, it sounds so callous, but Jesus is talking, and this is what he says, the reason why they could not cast that demon out of that boy. Verse 17, you unbelieving and perverse generation, Jesus replied. <laughs> Lovely Jesus. Isn't Jesus just special? You know, don't you just want to get a little cuddly lamb? You know, Jesus never talks. Well, Jesus would never talk that way. Listen, you unbelieving and perverse generation, Jesus replied. <laughs> how long? <laughs> I don't know how he said it. Maybe he said it real quietly and nice. Maybe he said, oh, you unbelieving and perverse generation. How long shall I stay with you? How long shall I put up with you? Bring the boy here to me. I don't think so, guys. I think it's more like, uh, you unbelieving and perverse generation. How long shall I stay with you? <laughs> How long shall I put up with you? <laughs> Bring the boy to me. And Jesus rebuked the demon, and it came out of the boy, and he was healed at that moment. Now, between... The problem, and the problem is usually a person that's got a problem, and the answer, which is God and his power, there's always going to be opposition. And I want you to, I want to lay this straight out. There is a spiritual realm that is more real than the physical realm. Why? Because the physical realm was created out of the spiritual realm, not the other way around. The physical realm did not create the spiritual realm. When God spoke, he spoke out of the spirit of God and created physical, the physical. Everything that's created was, was spoken forth out of the, the realm of the spirit. So the spiritual realm is more real than the physical realm. And between the, the problem person and the 
and the omnipotent God, there is a, a battle going on. There is a, a real battle going on in the spirit realm. And that's where, you know, Ephesians that we just talked about, the, the, the sly and cunning craftiness of men, what, whereby they lay in wait to deceive. You've got a real enemy. He is a real liar, and he's really got his deceit thing down full on. He knows how to attack. He knows how to put together, string together arguments that will stop the power of God from flowing, that will get God's people back in a box, not, not stretching out their hand to heal, but putting their hands in their pockets and, and, and trying to spiritualize excuses and not to step out and do the stuff. I, I, I want to encourage you, don't shrink back no matter what the media, no matter what's posted on Netflix that looks tempting and reasonable. Do not step back. Find whatever it is in the Word of God and meditate on it and get your instructions out of the Bible and go out and do the stuff. This is what we're talking about for equipping here. So the unbelieving and perverse generation, he says, this is, this is the reason why. We live in a generation that's full of doubt. It's full of skepticism. I think about the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, gentleness, kindness, meekness, uh, long-suffering. Uh, you know, let's just list the, the fruit of the Spirit. Uh, sarcasm, skepticism, foolish jesting, <laughs> negativity. Uh, not in there. Not part of the fruit of the Spirit. Not part of faith. Doubt and unbelief. Where's that listed in the Bible of, of a godly attribute? It's not in there. God's trying to get us to, to get built up strong in our faith, which comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. God is trying to get our core so strong on the inside that we've got such a strong resolve that the first thing we're not thinking about is, what, is it, what if it doesn't work? I'm going to look really stupid if I pray for that person and it doesn't work. I better cover myself with some kind of a prayer. Oh, dear God, you know, if it be thy will. Well, find out what his will is and pray the prayer of faith. What if it doesn't happen? Not my problem. What if it does happen? God gets the glory. I'm not going to take the shame if it doesn't. I'm not God. There's reasons why stuff doesn't happen for sure. But the overarching, overall reason here is you unbelieving and perverse generation. How long shall I stay with you? How long shall I put up with you? Bring the boy here. God wants us to get into his word so much. He wants us to to uh, exercise and step out and do the stuff so bad because uh, there's a, a bunch of hurting people out there that, that desperately need God. So I want to show you tonight just, uh, just three things really that we can do, and they're all found in Matthew chapter 17 here. Things that I believe uh, if we start working on our core, starting from tonight, I know many of you are already working on your core, uh, core, core of your spirit, Spiritually speaking, you know, you're doing it. Uh, let's just do it with more purpose and more intent. If you're not, then I want to encourage you between now and when we meet again for the next equip, let's just get in and start strengthening our core and, and before we go looking at, you know, any of the kind of other stuff that we're going to add to that. Let's just get the core really strong. So the first thing in verse 17 of uh, Matthew 17, in fact, uh, yeah. We'll do that. Matthew 17, verse 17. Uh, verse 1, sorry. Verse 1. 
Uh, after six days, so, so this is what happened at the beginning of this when the, the three disciples go up and leave the other guys down, down at ground zero. They go up in the mountain. After six days, Jesus took with them Peter, James, and John. They're, they're really called the uh, inner circle. Jesus had three that were really tight, and then the uh, other 12, uh, sorry, the other nine that were, oh yeah, they're, they're with him, but these guys were like his inner core, his inner circle, Peter, James, and John, the brother of James, and he led them high up in a mountain by themselves. And there he was transfigured before them. I love this. His face shone like the sun. His clothes became as white as light. Just then there appeared before them Moses, Elijah, talking with Jesus. And my point is this, to strengthen your core, separate yourself. There has to be times every day where you just take your phone out, turn it off, put it somewhere where you can't hear it, look at it, uh, and spend at least an hour a day just with God. Nobody else. No meetings, no distractions. We talked about that with creativity flowing out of tranquility this morning. There's so much power in that, that time of separation. He gets these three guys up on a mountain by themselves, and there they see this incredible scene, the transfiguration taking place. The other nine, however, are down just doing the busy stuff. They're not up in a mountain. They're not separate. They're separating themselves just to spend time with God. I'm, I'm encouraging you. It's called prayer. It's just a time out. Hey, I'm going to go for a walk. Wherever you go, I go down the beach, go for a long walk, pray in the Spirit. Uh, you know, at the end of that time, I, I feel like I could conquer any mountain. I could do anything because I've met with God. You know what I'm talking about. If you're doing that, that is the best habit you're ever going to have. There's nothing to replace it. There's no technique. There's no formula. It's not mind over matter. All of these things might be good, but they're not going to replace separation. Separate yourself. The second thing that you need to do, it's in verse 4. We'll just continue here. And Peter said to Jesus, Lord, it is good for us to be here. If you wish, I will put up three shelters, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. Now Moses uh, represents the law. Elijah represents the spirit. And, uh, and Peter here, he, he says, it's good. It's good. You know, the biggest enemy of God is good. So many things look good, but they're the enemy of God. And, and so Peter here, he's trying to get something good happening. And, 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 and while he was still speaking, a bright cloud covered them. And a voice from the cloud said, this is my son who I love. With him, I am well pleased. And I love this. Peter, listen to him. There are so many voices out there speaking and yelling from the media to friends to church people, to well-meaning people, to preachers. You know, all these voices are out there. Listen to my son. So I put this down as this. The second thing, number one, separate yourself. The second thing is sync yourself. Get in sync with what God wants to do by listening to the voice of God for whatever situation that you're in. When you get sensitive to His voice, when you get thrown a curly one and you're in a situation where somebody needs a healing or somebody needs to know the Lord or, or somebody needs something that only God can give, you are so in sync with God that you can do it. It just comes straight out. It's not like, oh no, what am I going to do? I'm in a situation now. I wasn't expecting this. Be expecting it. Every day I expect to do something that, that requires God in the situation. 
And so I've learned that separate yourself and then sink your soul. Sink yourself. You know, that's kind of like a computer word there. You've got to sink that thing, gets the timing uh, involved there. And then number three, and then we're going to finish. Number three, see none but Jesus. Verse six, when the disciples heard this, they fell face down on the ground, terrified. And Jesus came and touched them. Get up, he said, don't be afraid. Verse 8, get this, when they looked up, they saw no one except Jesus. I don't want to see anybody else. I just want to see him. If you can see Jesus in any situation, then you'll be able to get the, the, the stuff that Jesus wants to do. If you can see Jesus in, in a circumstance, then you'll see the miracle. If you can see Jesus in, 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 in life, in anything that life throws at you, you'll know what to do when you see Jesus. That's why I started this with it, and I'll finish with it. The whole object of equip and everything we're doing is to come into the fullness of, this, of the stature of the Son of God, to the full maturity of Christ, to see Jesus amongst everything else. I just want to see Him. I want to focus on Him. He's, he's the author. He's the finisher. He's the rewarder. He is everything. Get your eyes upon Him. Separate yourself. Sink yourself so that you can see Jesus and you'll work the stuff and you'll be fully equipped. Amen and amen.